Welcome to the Digital Leaders Podcast. I'm Robin Knowles, and today my guest is Alice Webb. Alice is director of BBC North and BBC Children's, and has held other senior positions at the BBC since she joined in 2005, previously working for the Cabinet Office, HM Treasury, and the Prime Minister's Delivery Unit. Outside of the BBC, she's a trustee of Children in Need, a member of the advisory board of the Children's Commissioner for England, and a National Commissioner for Arts Council England, and a Governor for the University of Manchester. Hello, Alice. Great to have you on the Digital Leaders Podcast. Hello. So, before we find out more about what you're doing now, can you tell me a bit about your journey, your earlier influences, and what led you to your current role? Well, I think it's fair to say that my journey's been uh, pretty varied. I grew up in a, a countryside setting, so in Herefordshire, and I went to a bog standard comprehensive school like many people. I can't say that I had an illustrious school career. Um, I didn't come out with particularly glittering A-levels, in fact, sufficiently so that I couldn't get into university. But by hook or by crook, I made my way to uh, Liverpool University uh, eventually. On uh, And I, that's where I studied civil and environmental engineering. So despite the fact that I'm in media now, that's certainly not where I started out my career at all. Um, I spent four years at Liverpool, had a wonderful, wonderful time, found a niche and found something that I really excelled at. And despite not having a, a particularly great school track record, certainly by the time I'd come out of university, that academic side of my life had picked up somewhat. And, uh, and, and I followed that path and I went into, I went into engineering and I worked for a, a wonderful consultancy called Mark McDonald, and I worked uh, pretty much all around the UK and even in China, working for the World Bank out there as an engineer, uh, which quite, you know, more years than I care to mention now ago was quite an extraordinary experience. And from then, I made uh, my way into uh, management consulting, actually, after I got chartered, so was an engineer for six or so years and moved into consulting, which may sound like it's quite a jump, but actually felt like a very natural progression because really at the heart of it, engineering is all about solving problems. It's about imagination. It's about creativity. And and my work as a management consultant in many ways was exactly the same, except instead of looking at the um, problem solving of how do I get a tunnel from A to B or, or create a dam or a bridge. It was really about how do you inspire people? How do you bring these wonderful, eclectic, diverse people that work for any organization to bring their talents to bear uh, against behind a single goal, um, which was really what, when you boiled it down to what a lot of my work as a management consultant was. And from there, 15 years or so ago, I made the unplanned but wonderful move to the BBC. And here I have been ever since. That's quite a journey. Yes, I kind of wasn't expect. I wasn't expecting that to be your journey to your uh, position where where you are now. So we might return to that a little bit later in our chat uh, today. So you're now your director of BBC North, but you're also director of BBC Children's. That's right. Uh, and I guess that the exciting thing about that is that is the audience of the future. 
that the BBC wants to be talking to uh, and entertaining and informing, and they're going to be with you a long time. So I just wonder whether you've got some reflections on that part of your role and, and kind of some of the exciting challenges and opportunities you're working on there. Well, you, there certainly are challenges and 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 exciting opportunities. Um, I, I'm sure many people say this, but genuinely, I do believe I have one of the best jobs in the uh, in the world um, because I am I am the steward of everything that the BBC does for for children, and they really are. You know, often, and I'm sure on this podcast too, people are talking about the future and and the digital revolution and the the change that we can all expect to see what's but what's incredible about what I do and um, other people who work with children would say the same is that future is already here it's not the future it's a reality today so so what's both exciting and slightly terrifying is seeing what children are doing uh, in what we might say as growing up in a digital world and what they would just say as is growing up in the world there is there is clearly no difference for them it means that their media habits are more more exacting than perhaps ever before um, if I told you that on average a primary school age child is consuming five and a half hours of media every day and by the time they get to secondary school age that in, that increases to nine and a half hours of media every day and bearing in mind they're at school as well you know that's that's more than a full-time job outside of school just consuming media of one form or another and the vast majority of that is not delivered in a way that you or I would have watched it or consumed it it's coming over digital platforms it's ultimately fragmented and the uh, the brilliant thing about children is they have an insatiable curiosity they have zero loyalty and uh, they're very they're very happy to tell you what they think of your of your of your content or your product so um the the feedback is immediate a tough audience i guess from that perspective a tough audience and i imagine that the children's part of bbc was was has probably moved increasingly to the front because you've you've developed some new products like bbc sounds and i imagine that your your input and your team's input is much more central to kind of planning those things than maybe it was 10 years ago or 15 years ago, is, are you, do you feel much more kind of mapped into that future and the way in which product has been delivered, I guess? Yeah, no, we definitely are. We absolutely are, I think, because undoubtedly, for two reasons, really. One is because we do have the audience of the future for perhaps products which are more widely used by grown-ups, sounds or iPlayer, BBC Sport or News. We have the future audience so, and we can absolutely tell you what they're doing today. But the other reason um, that we are increasingly part of that initial planning, whereas previously maybe it was think about grown-ups first and then and then think about children afterwards, is that actually maybe for the for for I'm sure there are other times in history I can't quite think of them, but I should liken this to a time which is actually if you create your product with a child in mind. And I don't mean that from a content perspective, but I mean it from a usability perspective, from a privacy perspective, from a data perspective, then actually adults are just less good versions of children. And, and if you design it for a child, you can, you can get what you need for an adult without any extra cost, but try and do it the other way around, design for an adult, and it's almost impossible to deliver a good, ethical safe engaging model for a child so so we we are definitely 
um, more part of that conversation than perhaps in times gone by. I love that way of looking at it. I think that's uh, fascinating. And also, as you say, I mean, nine hours of, I have an 18 year old and a 14 year old, and I'm sure like many people on the podcast with kids, you do suddenly realize they're spending more time consuming media in an average day than they are at school. And as you say, they might be spending 20 hours at school, but you suddenly realize they're doing an insane amount of time online. And also they are consuming, aren't they, as well? They, they really, really are. Absolutely. And, you know, and think about the times that they're walking around with the headphones on and think about the times that they are just scrolling through, catching up on the news or, or something. So it's incredibly varied. And it's, it's, you know, it's fascinating to watch children live their lives with, with media as a constant companion, even when they're doing the washing up. I, I have children who can balance a mobile phone on the edge of the side of the sink and and still do the washing up at the same time. And that's a real challenge. I think it's a challenge for all of us. It's a challenge for us as media providers, as content creators, as storytellers, about how much do we try and engage children and young people? Or how much do we actually try and persuade them to put down that device and go and do something more interesting instead? And how do we design products that are doing the right thing for them and how as parents do we find the right footing for them so that we're not excluding them from the world that is their world but yet we are helping them to understand that not everything is what they think it might be when they're when they're engaging with things on on digital platforms i think it's a really emerging and yet to be formed kind of period of 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 time that we'll look back on now and think gosh did we really do that um well now yes. we know better Yes, I'm quite jealous of my kids in the sense that when they have their children, they will have an informed opinion on how much is is too much and what is good content and what's not good content in a way that someone who's sort of played football outside or sat and watched television in the old-fashioned way just has no real sense of of how how good or bad it is for them. Because, yes, they, they can have such developed opinions on topics given their age, and you think this must be based on consuming large amounts of information. So you said earlier that, you know, if you design it for a child, then you kind of get the ethical side and the safety side and all those parts right. You must see the BBC as having an important role in the current conversation. I'll put it negatively and say over online harm and children's safety, but obviously there's a positive side to that as well. So that must be a really kind of important part of your role at the moment. Yeah, I think I think it is. Um, I think it's an important part of our role because we are the most trusted. Not only are our children's services the most loved and the most viewed, and whether that's CBBS or CBBC, you know, other TV channels that people have known and loved for for many years, but but that level of trust, together with the fact we are content creators and and we build great products. And the fact that we have an engineering core at our heart from our very inception means that we perhaps more than any organization have both the motivation, the ability and and the credibility, I think, to be helping to find a path through what is a very, very difficult area. But difficulty alone is not enough of a reason not to be there. So, yes, we are definitely trying to take our responsibility very seriously in this space. And have you got some new products that are coming out or new platforms 
that you're developing or going to be launching that kind of address some of those issues or support young people in the way they're consuming media? Yeah, so we launched we launched about 18 months ago. It was a website at that point. We own, we launched a concept that was called BBC Own It because to your point earlier, um, we really want to take that notion of giving children agency, their own agency for their online lives. Children are well-versed in online safety. That's something that I think even in the last five years has come on massively. Schools are, schools are teaching it. Children understand about that. But that's very different to children having their own control and empowerment of their online lives. And we, we launched something called BBC Own It 18 months ago, which was a website that's stuffed full of information, advice, hints, tips to help you own your online life. And what I'm really excited about is that um, we will be launching later this year the next stage of that journey, which is an app called BBC Own It, that we are working with many partners on to try and make sure that this is the app that goes on every first smartphone for a child here in the UK. The app is like the website, it's stuffed full of advice and hints and tips about how do you have a, a really healthy and happy online life. But not only that, it's trying to do two things. First of all, it's trying to help children make the connection between what they're doing online, the time they're spending, the apps they're on, the websites they're visiting, the games that they're playing. How does that make them feel? Because we all know, I've certainly done it, you know, you're trawling through someone else's Instagram feed or their Facebook pages. And, and boy, do they look like they're having a better life than you, you know, and that, and that can knock you, particularly if you, if you are still developing your own sense of who you are. So we're really helping children to, to identify not just the activity, but how it's making them feel, because we believe that gives them the agency to go and do something about that for, for you know, to help themselves maybe feel a bit happier, a bit more active, whatever it is that they want to improve their well-being about. And then critically as well, at the cutting edge of machine learning, we are, uh, the app introduces a new keyboard for a child to use as their default keyboard, which then provides nudges, in the moment nudges, before a child sends a message to help them to make sure that they are staying within some of the norms that, that we'd all know because we've all done it ourselves. You say something online, you wouldn't say it in real life. Um, so before a child has sends a message, they'll get a little bit of feedback. If it's a message that maybe isn't the nicest in the world, just to nudge them and say, really, do you want to send that? It's not going to stop them sending it. It's not going to, you know, it, it's not about finger wagging in that way. But from our research and the user testing, we've had kids love that level of feedback. By the way, it also gives them feedback if they're sending a great message that's really positive. And of course, importantly too, for some children, they're, they're in acute need, they're in real trouble. So the keyboard will also nudge them towards seeking help if what they're writing would suggest that they're, they're in trouble right now. So we've worked with, with partners. We're really excited about the idea that the industry as a whole stands with us and, and, and holds hands when we launch this later in the year to try and get this as a, as a small but important step to trying to shift the balance of, of kind of how empowered children really are when they get that first taste of freedom, when they get their first smartphone. That's really exciting. I love the idea of um, using AI to kind of teach, I guess, sort of machine learning, AI good behavior. Because I'm kind of, I, I want to believe that 
children are actually going to teach good AI in a way that maybe a lot of adults won't. There's a lot of discussion about, you know, sort of we'll, we'll end up with the AI we deserve. Yeah. Um, you know, so let's make sure that we're nice. There was a wonderful, um, probably Radio 4 quote I picked up the other day where someone was saying, um, should parents teach their children to say please and thank you to Siri? And you think, you sort of, I was laughing the other day that my gram was saying thank you to, to sort of Google assistant when it was helping her. But actually, when you think about it, yes, you know, sort of if, if, if you teach your kids to be nice to AI, then AI is going to learn that sort of positive thing back from them. So that's that's very exciting. So that launches later this year, you were saying. Yeah, that late that launches later this year. Look out for it in in app stores, and we'll we'll run a beta trial for it um, in a month or two's time. But but certainly autumn time, you should see it. Um, hopefully plastered everywhere. BBC own it. You'll hopefully not miss it out there. And if you are, if listeners to the podcast have got a, a child that they're going to give a smartphone to, or you know, either because they've bought one new or they're handing down theirs, then then put this on there. Um, and actually, do you know what's been what's been very interesting in our testing? Um, is it there are many adults who would like this app too, just to have a second thought before they send that message or, uh, you know, they share, they share, you know, the app picks up if you're going to share a mobile phone number or an address or something. And again, just nudging kids to think twice before they, they share that piece of information. So do look out for it. But as I say, you know, the important thing is the, the internet is a dispersed and, and wide thing. So we are, we are holding hands with internet service providers and, and mobile phone providers um, and online platforms to uh, this is BBC product, but we are launching it with all of them because the solution, whatever we are going to do to make the internet uh, a better place for children is something we're all going to have to do together. We'll make sure we sort of point at that uh, along with everybody else, I'm sure, when it comes out because it does sound fantastic. And as you say, I think we could all do with that sort of checker that just has a look at what you're about to send before you send it. Yes, I think we've all pressed that button once too often, too quickly. And uh, yes, I'm. I I have to say I've had this keyboard on my phone for a little while now, um, and uh, it's surprising. Um, actually, not so much the negative. I'm glad to say, but it's it's surprising how how much it makes me smile when I get a little positive message from the from the keyboard to say that I'm sending somebody a nice message. So actually, the positive affirmation is just as nice as the other way around. Brilliant. So um, let's talk a little bit more about yourself and your experiences. So you are a great example of a woman in tech. And that, you know, I don't know, I'm just interested in your views on that. I mean, you've given us your journey into engineering and now obviously onto the management side. So I imagine at some point you were coding uh, and now you're probably not doing so much coding. So what, what are your views about this kind of changing levels of diversity within the tech? sector is it still hard to find talent you know sort of what what can a big organization like the bbc do or is doing to kind of move that dial 
I should definitely set the record straight. I can't claim to have ever coded uh, uh, since I left university. I'm afraid um, that would be uh, that would be doing a disservice to all the brilliant coders out there in the world. But uh, I've had the fortune of working with some extremely talented people in in tech teams through all the organisations I've worked with, and and have the privilege of now finding myself in a place of of, of having some leadership influence in that area. But but I think. You know, from what I see, and I see that firsthand, I mean, the BBC is, we have 1,200 engineers um, working for us on some of the biggest products in this country. Um, so it's a really, really we're exciting place to work if, you're, if you are um, hands-on engineering. What we're seeing is still not enough women coming in to the workplace, but more women than ever before. Still not enough. There's more for us to do. And looking below that... What I find, what I find personally really, really exciting is seeing how many girls are just feeling uh, uninhibited about the fact that it is, you know, traditionally an area that has seen less female people working in tech. And I certainly see when I go around schools, um, I talk to children, I know they love to engage when we do stuff about tech um, here at the BBC, there are so many wonderful activities and initiatives out there. And I think the tide is really turning for, for girls. But, but don't get me wrong, I think we have a long way to go to make up the gap. But I think the future is bright. It's just not here yet. Yes, they're 50, 50% of your consumer base, 50% of the workforce. So I think we have to, have to move that dial, don't we? Otherwise... Oh. We do, we do, and and I'm I'm really proud that we, you know, we recently made some investments um, in in BBC Children's, which saw us expand our product team, and for the first time that we made a, we got to a fifty fifty split. That was that was one team, not not insignificant in size, but we need every team to be like that. Definitely, you've talked on the podcast um, a few times about leadership and the importance of leadership and the the importance of that role. Can we maybe talk about you as a digital leader? Because obviously we are digital leaders on our podcast. What is it that a leader needs to get their head around? What advice could you give to leaders on this podcast in terms of getting to grips with digital? You know, what do they need to understand and find out about? What could they maybe not worry about too much uh, if they're leading as you are? So I think the really important part about leadership and leadership being a digital leader and leading in a digital sphere is that it is it is a it is about art and science. Um, I think that often from the outside people look at technology, the digital world, and think, well, it it is, you know, at its simplest, it's a it's a um, you know it's a world of ones and zeros, isn't it? And if I and it, and it's all very logical. But the reality is there's piles and piles of creativity and uh, spontaneity in that uh, in this world as much as there is in maybe a purely artistic world. I, I think the other reason why I firmly believe that um, being a leader, a digital leader, means that you need to both appreciate and and harness the art and the science is that. Technology rarely exists in a vacuum without some kind of human interaction. And being able to understand how you marry both the technical and the human, I think is is incredibly important. We all know of systems that have been built which have never come to fruition because they didn't 
get to grips with that, the reality. Often I call it the inconvenient truth. You know, um, we, the world would be much more efficient if there weren't humans in it. But, but the reality is we're all here and we're not going anywhere. So just being able to understand how, how to set up the fastest network or the largest amount of computing power or the, or the most advanced piece of AI is never going to win you, the, win you um, any prizes. And I think, you know, if there's anything that I've brought to this sphere, it's not the deepest technical knowledge, but I hope it has been the ability to both appreciate value and try and um, harness and and create that marriage between the art and the science, the human and the human and the machine to try and do do good things. I think I agree with that. I think. um one of the most challenging things is it's it's not a project, is it? There is no finish. You're always going to be bumping into the next unknown unknown uh, in your daily life, and you must find that constantly as well. Particularly in a sort of innovative place like the BBC, where you're developing new products and you've got world class people around you. Yeah, I think I think you're very right, and I think that in itself brings. I think challenge is possibly the wrong word but it brings a different kind of reality we all think the world has got faster that there is all things flying at us and whether that's in our personal lives or at work and you know constant is the new uh, change is the new norm but I think that is the fact that there isn't a beginning a middle and an end to to technology or to or to leading digital projects that is the new norm and and because we're shifting that it's not like well we do that and then we'll go back to what we used to do for because we can have a rest then I, I think that's challenging for people I think when when you don't know how your job is going to change in the future but you know it is I think that the fact that the you know we're all looking to address different challenges in the world we've just spoken about giving kids a great relationship with their online life you know that's that's an enormous challenge that's that's huge and just one of of a million we could sit here and reel off between us um so i think it's i think that requires a different kind of leadership it's not a leadership which is sort of well let's all take a deep breath hold hands and we'll we'll sprint for for however long it takes this is just living a different way well i think that's uh, puts it very succinctly so We've sort of come to the bit where we ask you some quick fire questions, um, and hopefully they will uh, reveal one or two interesting things, more interesting things about you uh, before we finish today. So our first quick fire question is: uh, Which one book would you recommend to our listeners, and why? Gosh, do you know what? Uh, asking these types, of, answering these types of questions are always the hardest. Um, I think so. I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit of a. Whatever I read last is my current favourite. Um, I'm yeah. afraid. And um, so I've just finished reading Michelle Obama's uh, Becoming, which I found fascinating. Partly, I have to confess, because at the end of a very busy day, uh, it's 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 a light read. So in many ways, so that's that's always good. But I think that whole sort of journey, I think she's laid out a very compelling and interesting um, story about her own journey, um, which didn't start um, as many of us might have thought out. And of course, getting the inside track on 
on uh, the White House and the comings and goings. I can't say that wasn't anything but fascinating. So, so yes, yeah. if you want something that's that's fascinating, not too taxing, and and somebody who I think is an extraordinary woman role model out there, um, then yes, I'd go for Michelle Obama's Becoming. Brilliant, thank you. Uh, the one person I would love to have lunch with, and why, and they can be living or dead. Well, that's good because mine's definitely long, long dead. Um, and maybe given the things we've just talked about, may not be so much of a surprise. The person I'd absolutely love to have lunch with is um, a chap called Leonardo da Vinci, because I'm not sure that I know anyone who's more fascinating in terms of what I talked about of the art and the science side of things. You know, uh, an incredible inventor, uh, an incredible artist, uh, an insatiable uh, creative mind. Uh, curiosity i would love to have a very long lunch uh, and a chill bottle of white wine and a good old natter with him yeah brilliant choice um so we do want a surprise to finish us off the one thing about you that we would be surprised to learn oh and i'm prepared to reveal on this podcast and- uh, <laughs> True. i think so what could i tell you that you may not know about me um, I am a very proud, I was, in uh, when I was a small person, I was very proud to be a brownie, uh, to wear my brownie uniform to, uh, to the church hall on a Tuesday evening. But for most people, that meant that they were a brownie from about the age of seven to nine, and then they graduated to guides. I'm afraid that I was a brownie from the age of seven to 18. I haven't looked it up, but I quite possibly have the world record for bringing a brownie for the longest as well. That is, I think, quite a surprising fact for you. Well, our current president, Jacqueline DeRockers, I think she's president of the Girl Guiding Association, so she'll be very pleased. I'm sure she doesn't see a great distinction with the brownies. So she'll be very pleased that uh, that's your surprise. Excellent. Well, I shall, I shall make, stake my claim to being the, the longest serving brownie. That's, uh, that's definitely something I shall look into. Fantastic. Okay, so sadly, Alice, we are out of time. Uh, thank you so much for being on the Digital Leaders Podcast. Brilliant. Thank you very much for having me. That is it for this episode of the Digital Leaders Podcast. Now, of course, we would love to know your thoughts. Tag us at at DigiLeaders and let us know. And if you want to find out more about today's guest, head on over to our website, digileaders.com forward slash podcast, and we have all that information there. That is it for this week. I'm your host, Robin Knowles. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back soon with another episode of the Digital Leaders Podcast.